and welcome to Starting Eleven, the podcast that gives you the chance to get to know the cynics a little bit better through the cunning use of numbers. There'll be plenty of Celtic chat, but hopefully by the end of it, you'll know a wee bit more about the people who make the podcasts that you listen to every week. I'm Paul Carlin, and in this episode, I'm joined by one of the pillars of the agenda, arguably the best podcast the cynic makes. Uh, he's coming to his live from the worst place on earth, Edinburgh, of course, but we like him anyway. Hello, Kieran Devlin. Hello, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been, it's been, we've had it on the cards for about six months or so, and mm. uh, stuff keeps getting in the way. But I've been really looking forward to this. Really excited to record it. One of the few things I love more than Celtic is talking about myself. So mm. this should really it should be a great old list. Well, brother, you've come to the right place. Um, her thanks, Kieran. We we obviously we know you mostly from the agenda, but you've been doing loads of like reactions and stuff recently, which I've enjoyed. Uh, we, you did a lunch club last year, so we're we're seeing you more across the cynic spectrum. Um, how how's that working out for you? That's a weird question. Off to a bad start. <laughs> yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm hoping this is like the soft power peer pressure putting on on Gal, as I mentioned on the agenda. I was going to go after his, uh, his hosting duties. I mm. feel like the, the next logical step until eventually his uh, the sheer the pressure I'm, I'm putting on him, he crumbles, and then I just naturally slide into the role. So you um, want to host the agenda? That, uh, no, I just I just wanted I just want to break him down psychologically, effectively. I think that's I think that's it's not much to ask. Um, co-sign on that whatever help you need my friend just get in touch I am one of the best in the business at bringing down Christopher Gallagher and I uh, will help you any way I can um, so Kieran uh, starting 11 is basically a chat between you and me we're going to learn a bit about you as a guy your sort of Celtic history some players you like some matches but also just it's really just getting to know Kieran Devlin. So you're going to ask numerical questions based on your life and your Celtic story from 1 to 11. And as usual, I've crunched the numbers and we'll be doing this in a random order. So we're going to start with question 10. Kieran Devlin, who was your favourite Celtic player when you were 10 years old? So I think I've discussed this before, but the first Celtic player I really, really probably fell in love with was, was Nakamura. Mm. Um, when he arrived in 2005, um, you know, I think it's to, I would I really think that sweet spot between the ages of eleven, fifteen is when you really start to properly love football. Not just because I, you know, a Celtic player put the goal in the net and you win a game, but because you understand that was a really cool pass, that was a really nice trick, etc. You start to understand the nuances a bit more. Um, unfortunately, Nakamura arrived when I was eleven, so mm. I just just disqualified. Um, so we're talking about the 04, 04 or five season. So maybe. Didn't, didn't end brilliantly, uh, if we can all remember. But I think, I just remember really liking Craig Bellamy after yeah. I think I think maybe for when you're that age bracket below, obviously everyone loves Larson because he scores lots of goals. And when you're that age, you just love people who score goals. But I think Bellamy was just a really exciting player. He did score loads of goals, but it just is, you know, he ran fast and he had really direct running. And it just, it, it's just a, it was just a funny looking guy, you know, you just, you, it was just like there's something about him that he's quite cartoonish looking. So yeah. I, I think I think from that that season that well that half season I just really liked Craig Bellamy. I would I'd probably go for that. Uh, great, I f- absolutely love Craig Bellamy that season. Um, it was a, a a kind of a shining light in a not amazing season. Um, and he just seemed to get Celtic. Eh? He just he just felt like the right guy at the right time. I was gutted when when I mean I didn't think we had any chance of getting him full time, but. Um, I think he made a big impact and and is even for a short space of time has kind of woven himself into the Celtic story. Any kind of performances or goals that stand out for you? Well, I just I guess the, the obvious one is the uh, Tam Dice hat trick. Um mm-hmm. where it was just like some of the quality of the goals were just ridiculous. Like it was just it was just one of those it, it felt like um I think well, not obviously not at the time because my brain my brain was like half formed or whatever, but we <laughs> Looking back at it, I love watching the highlights of those years, obviously, as as everyone does. And just looking at the quality of the goals and the chances, I think there's an extended highlights of that specific game on YouTube. And just looking at the um it was like it was like Van Dyke or at times Dembele, Edward, you know, those those types of players who do come to Celtic and they're they're just you know, Robbie Keane for the, the exact same situation, you know, mm. they're just like you are <laughs> head and shoulders above everybody else in this pitch at the moment. Yeah. 
Like you're just so clearly above the level, and we love you for it. But we can maybe see why we can only get you on loan for six months. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just—it's just astonishing, like that that combination of pace, our technique, and emphatic finishing. But also that you know, I guess what one, 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 it looks like he works hard. I guess like if you're watching, you know, the full ninety minute at the time, I guess that was one of the criticisms that maybe he didn't quite work as hard as how you know how aggressively runs might suggest. But yeah, I just, I just got a lot of you know, there's a lot of like um fragmented memories of that time and a lot of them are happy ones resembling uh, Bellamy and yeah. He's just he's just scored a lot of really nice goals and I think that's what you got respect about him. And as you say, like the fact that he seemed to get it that, that YouTube video of him refusing to sign a Rangers top. It's the lowest hanging fruit possible. Like that's like that's you're asking the bare minimum there, but it still it still feels quite good that he doesn't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um brilliant. Um, uh, great choice. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to hear Craig Bellamy's name today, and I'm, I'm glad I did. Um forty seven as well. Short number forty seven. Just love weird shit like that as well. Um well great. Well there's Kieran at age ten. Um a big stand for Craig Bellamy. Uh let's do a question two. Kieran Devlin, who are the two people you most enjoy talking about Celtic with? I feel contractually obliged to say Alan Edgar and Chris Gallagher. You don't have to say Alan and Chris. You can if you want, but you don't have to. I I love it. I do do genuinely the agenda, recording agendas when the highlights every week. They're the nicest guys. They're the the most insightful guys on on Celtic. And it's an absolute pleasure to record with them. But I do think that's maybe a bit of a boring answer. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to. If we're going to try and try and make this an engaging listen, I don't want to. Uh, you know, wax lyrical. But I'm uh, your pals, I. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but like, I will say, like, I do. I do love chatting with my dad, as I'm sure many of us does. Maybe another. You could say that's another boring answer, but it's a very sincere one. Um, I just. It's just not. It's just, I really get like a. A glow when we're just after a game, it's like Sunday night or or something where you're just um, texting. Like he's, I, I like as I am. He's a massive fan of the Japanese contingent. He's a massive Hatate Kyogen Maeda guy, so it's just quite nice just to, to bond over that. Especially since we live in different cities and it can go a few weeks or a couple of months without seeing him. Yeah. It's really nice to 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 just have that as a as an outlet. To as I'm sure many of people, um, especially if they do live, live in different cities or different countries. Having Celtic as that that connection where you can message them over the week and it's, it's a really it's a, a nice feeling both emotionally and just because you know as something that's been that that fabric that fabric um, between us all all my life and you know all his life it's just it's really sort of affirming and heartwarming when when it happens and you know it's, it's quite good for the the solace as well when something bad happens to Celtic which thankfully hasn't really been a big thing this season yeah um great. Who's, your, who's your dad's favorite has he got an all-time kind of favorite player um actually that's a good question I don't think I've Jesus I'm a bad son I don't think I've really I don't think I've asked him that. I think he's got fond memories of the Clotty Street gang when yeah. he was growing, uh, growing up because that's when his my granddad was taking him to games um, where he used to go to either Celtic Park one week, but and because they were growing up, they weren't coming old. They went to see Clyde um, when Celtic were playing away. Mm. Um, so they, they, uh, yeah, I think I think he's a big Paul McStay guy, as I imagine a lot of guys who you know in their their forties, fifties, early sixties. I think he is somebody that I think just captures that thing because you know obviously the nineties were such a miserable a miserable time. And you had he had one of the best midfielders in Europe still playing for Celtic at the time. It's mm-hmm. a pretty special, it's a special thing. So I think he's a, I think, yeah, I think it depends on what decade or what era you're talking about. But I think just as with a lot of guys, I think Paul McStay reserves a special place in his heart. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Se- right. Second guy, second person, uh, yeah, number two. Um, it's quite an interesting one. So is them. It's a guy who up until less than two years ago had no connection with Celtic. But he was an Aussie that, um, after I moved to London, after I graduated, I worked with him in recruitment because we became really close pals. Um, we both had quite a tough time in London over the, and he eventually moved back to Australia because had a really, he was starting to really struggle. But we still kept in touch, but maybe not as much as I'd like. You know, it was only like every three months or so we'd message over WhatsApp or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a massive, massive and Postacoglu guy. Mm-hmm. So after, I think I've, told, I've mentioned it like every now and again on the agenda, but every time that, um, but the moment that Celtic 
hired Ange. Um, he was just messaging me like how excited he was. Like he's a yeah. he's a he's a Spurs fan. Um, they don't really have a connection, but um, and he's just like falling in love with Celtic with with the fans, the songs, the stadium, the players, and it's it's just it's been really heartwarming to, to experience that. And mess you know I message him every week. Like I just wake up on um Monday morning, and he's clearly just like he's clearly like on uh, waking up himself. And just like looked over the watch the highlights from the Sunday or Saturday game, and he's just texting me, "Oh, I love Moy." <laughs> and just like it's just like eight or nine, ten messages in a row, just him clearly just like live tweeting the um the highlights as it comes in, and it's just like chatting about everything. He went when the Celtic were touring in Australia, he went to see the game in Sydney, mm-hmm. and he's just like he's got a Celtic kit now. He's he, he subscribes to Celtic TV, so I have to apologise wow. for the the, uh, the the value money he's getting there. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's just it's just really nice to see that happen in real time. And how you know, I do you know, maybe I do believe that even when Ange leaves, he will still have you know, he maybe not follow Celtic as closely, but I do think he's built that connection there, built that. So I think you know, I chat to a lot of like like. You know, massive Celtic fans every week, every day. But I think with my dad and that and uh, Hugh, his name is. I think there's something quite. It's just, it's just really get a lot of like satisfaction from from those two in particular. That's great. I love that. Absolutely love it. Um, and there's absolutely no chance that when Ange goes, he'll lose interest because when you're when Celtic get you, they've got you basically. Um, has he has he got any opinions on the Aaron Moy versus Matt O'Reilly culture war, or does he tend to just kind of see the positives and things? Well, he's a very positive guy, but he's also a massive like Australia national team mark. So he right. thinks Aaron Moy is the the best thing since sliced bread. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll see. He's certainly better than he's better than like mouldy bread for sure. Uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a kicking for that. All right. Next question. Let's go to question five. So, Kieran Devlin, Billy McNeil is Celtic's most famous number five, but I'd like you to rank. The following modern day Celtic number fives from least favourite to favourite. So this is going back to basically Mark Reaper. So pretty much stopping the 10, which feels like a good kind of like benchmark, right? So the players are Mark Reaper, Useful Haran, Dewey, Gary Caldwell, Daniel Mastorovic, Rami Gershon, Virgil van Dijk, Jozo Simunovic and Liam Scales. So let's start with your least favourite and work your way up. And feel free to share any comments or I mean they may not have a lot to say about Rami Gershon, but let's let's hear it. My least favourite, can you guess, is Rami Gershon. <laughs> probably I think the the only thing you really can say about him is he was the worst of the Dudu Dahan punts. Mm. Um, which is probably one of the least generous things you can say about <laughs> anywhere. Um but I think that's probably the only thing I'd have on it. Um I guess next you'd probably you probably would go do away mm. just rationally because you know it's got, it's got, I like I like that I really like the idea of bringing in he was I mean, he was China's captain wasn't he yeah like, it was just, it's, captain. It's, it's just it's just a nice story and obviously we're really trying to uh, double down and you know getting into the Asian market but it seems our approach to marketing uh, and market cornering has become more sophisticated in the last fifteen years rather than just. Sure. Just going, let's buy players and not build any infrastructure for actually selling them at all. <laughs> yeah, because um, when Zeng Z was over, he, he like, no one, apparently, allegedly, no one gave him any help to, like, integrate, uh, to settle down in Scotland. And you would imagine that Dewey might have been in the same boat. But yeah. also, come on, Clyde. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, who's next? Um, I think we need to go in for Liam Scales. Uh, mm. You know, he scored two really nice goals last season. I do, th- I, you know, he's, he's had an up and down year with Aberdeen. I've not been convinced by him personally, defensively. I'm not. Sh- I don't think he's going to make it a Celtic, but he's he's certainly done done more for his Celtic career than Dewey and Rami Gershon did. Cool. Um, then we have like Dan Mastorovic. Oh, uh, I I I think he personifies one of my favourite like types of signing Celtic made between. You know, like two thousand and two and twenty sixteen. Yeah, just like a like experienced, uh, slightly older centre half who looks the business, 
Um, but it's actually quite shit. Yeah. Um, I feel like we we signed maybe 15 of those in about 15 years. Mm. Basically, one every season came in, and we're like, this guy, you know, we've got some young, inexperienced centre-backs with quality, but they make mistakes. This guy's going to sort them out. He's going to marshal them. You know, going all the way to... Jesus, who was the guy? I've completely had a uh, mind blank. Who was the, the RB Leipzig guy we're all convinced was good? Oh, at? Marvin Comper, the legend. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I feel like he was... He was, you know, he was the denouement for this this policy. He was like, "All right, let's just stop doing that now." <laughs> um, um, I thought, but, I thought Mistorovic was like, I thought he was going to be the guy. I thought yeah. he was going to be the man. I guess we all did. He's a han- handsome guy, you know, really like really. You know, he had a look for okay, sure. Yeah, and it just didn't uh, it didn't work out. I think he scored a really. I don't remember talk, mentioning Tanadis or Rob, but I'm. I think it was Tannadice who scored a really nice header, um, and I just, I just, uh, yeah, I think that was during the title running for the ten eleven season. But we thought, oh god, this. So it was before Cali away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we, I think it was like a really important goal. I can't remember the specifics, but I think it was. Aye. I've got a memory of him scoring against, um, in like in a cup game against like Alawa or something like that. Uh, anyway, I mean that's it. I think what we're what's happening right here is we are really explaining the legacy of Daniel Mastorovic quite well. So who's next? Uh, next up, we have Jozo Shumunovic. Uh, I don't think time has been kind to Jozo Shumunovic. I think, obviously, he'll have the Kenny Miller tackle. He scored the, the Billy McNeil header and an important yeah. start to the season. He has he had quite a big moments for Celtic, but I think he's... Still, maybe the fourth or fifth most most expensive signing we've made this century, um, which potentially might make him the fourth or fifth most expensive signing ever after you include add-ons. And he has not vindicated that at all. Now you could say like he obviously had a load of injuries and he did have some good qualities, but he was just so error prone and so injury prone. He just made daft mistakes all the time that you just got frustrated with him. And I think you know, especially when you compare like the centre backs we've had since. You know, like um, like you know, CCV especially, but Starfall and my my my. Oh yeah, here he goes, yeah. Kobayashi. Here he goes. I've got he people. He's the biggest Kobayashi fan on earth. Um, you know, I think it's maybe. I think this reflects that we are in a much healthier place with our centre backs than we were when Sumunovic was one of the main starters. Uh, so I, then I, after that, I probably would have to go Mark Reaper. Now I know I think any really. Rash- any rational, I, I, I get it. Any rational person would say, obviously, Mark Reaper is a better centre back than Gary Caldwell. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I remember nothing about Mark Reaper. Like, I was what five when he left. I think. Right. Right. Um, okay. I, I think so. Like, I get, I get that Mark Reaper is almost certainly a much better centre back. But personally, I do have fond memories of Caldwell in certain moments. I'll have a lot of negative memories <laughs> about Caldwell Fuck as yeah. well. But I, um, but I think I have to combine these two because Cobra is obviously the next one, and I just think we did. She did get. I think he he was the centre back in both years. We got to the last sixteen other striking. Mm-hmm. Aye, was, I certainly remember him playing against like Milan, um, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he did. You know, he had the the you know had the ball over. Uh, he he played his part in the Hesselink last minute winner mm-hmm. against Rangers, which. Is one of my favourite games ever. Um, before I became a massive shape bag for those games when I was 14, <laughs> 14 and idealistic and naive. Um, and, you know, I think I've just got like, some good memories about him, but I would say, like, obviously, Reaper is a much, much better centre back. Um, then you go into Big Use, Phil Harden, mm-hmm. um, who, I do, who I just thought was class. Like, even, back, even back being. Seven, eight, nine—you could just tell this guy was was solid. As, you know, as with me, I'll be the very two similar types of players. They, they just did their jobs. Big eighteen-yard box defenders that did their job well, and yeah, I think looking back at the highlights, watching you know the old um, the DVDs of the season reviews and everything like that, you know, it's quite hard to capture the quality of them there. But just for the tro- the trophies they won. The party played to Seville, everything. It was just, yeah, obviously, like a very important player for Celtic at that time. And I think 
he's one of those players where Celtic paid a lot of money for him, but he vindicated it, which mm. I think a lot of the players who were bought that summer in 2000 were. Um, and then number one is obviously Van Dyke because you know for a pe- we had him before he became the best centre back in Europe for a few years. We had, but he was still just out- <laughs> outstanding. Like at time, you know, people might make the point that he he was so good that he was complacent in certain games, particularly in Europe, and I understand that. But I still think, even with that caveat, he's still just head and shoulders above every, everybody else in, in Scotland for those two years. And he was just outstanding. And I, I loved him. And he's got, I, I just think that go against St. Johnston, where he literally just walks with the ball and then toe pokes it past the keeper, is one of the funniest goals ever because he just seems like he's playing like FIFA on training mode or easy, where everybody, yeah, yeah. nobody like he has that thing where people can't sprint. But they're just like walking everywhere. He's just like, yeah. he's, he's like doing it. Or like somebody's put the, somebody's got a can, so they left the controller down, and the players are just, and the guy's happy. I just feel like one of those. Uh, yeah, he's a brilliant player. Excellent. Okay, so uh, Van Dyke at the top, and oh, poor Rami Gershon down the bottom. Good, good on Dewey not being bottom of that pile. Um, I know that Martin Free was going to be absolutely raging about how high Gary Cordwell was, but that's for you and him to work out between yourselves. Um, okay, question one. Kieran Devran, tell us about the first time you ever got drunk. Um, so the first time I got drunk was probably quite boring. I think it was just a house party with school people. I left at midnight and then crashed on a, the pal's floor and nothing really interesting happened. So I will tell you the time I got embarrassingly drunk before the first time I made a complete arse of myself because I feel that's more that's better storytelling go on um, so I think I, I went to university in England and in my first my first term there you know trying to make act the big Scottish lad uh, and all these you know they obviously I'm um, <laughs> one of the least intimidating least <laughs> Scottish people around so this was uh, but bear in mind it's all relative and when you're like there's a lot of like Rejected old Etonians at the at the university. It says uh, makes a big difference. Um, so I, f- I managed to fit. There was an office in the, the town centre that, that sold but fast for six quid. By the way, if you want to talk about how inflation is, Jesus, okay, okay, the last ten years. Um, and I, I was like, oh, it's gonna be. I'm gonna be really smart. I'm gonna be a really smart eighteen year old. I'm gonna mix this with a bottle of one pound fifty white cider. Um, and I mixed Buckfast with white cider. I was like, oh, look how, look how hard and Scottish I am. Um, and I was like, we're going to go out. I'm going to be like all laddie and jovial and whatever. And then passed out in about half an hour. I <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't make it out and just like sort of passed out in my halls and everyone. Yeah. So uh, there's your big hard Scottish guy. Embarrassing yourself in front of the Etonians, Kieran. Embarrassing no. yourself in front of T-Bone, essentially. Um, well, I mean, you've you've shamed me, you've shamed the cynic, you've shamed your family, but most of all, you've shamed yourself. Um, uh, and you've never had a drink since, of course. No, no not at yeah. all. No, no, no. <laughs> I've uh, been in a monastery, actually, this entire time. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on. We're going to go to question seven. So Dermot Desmond, your best pal, has forgiven you for everything, right? He's, just for, he's had a change of heart. He's forgiven you for everything that's happened over your career and granted you a box at Celtic Park, right? So which seven people, famous, dead, alive, not famous, who basically you, it's, a, it's a dream dinner party conversation, right? Which seven people are going to join you in the, the, the eight seats in your box? Person number one, please. John Mackay. John Mackay from STV? No, Dom Mackay, as oh. in Dom. <laughs> Both of those answers are ideal, right? So, of course, my friend, Dom Mackay, my former bandmate in the Joy Farmers, uh, Dom Mackay, who is not, not really bad, I haven't seen him for years. Uh, right, love that for obvious reasons, you know. Um, I, I, do we need a reason for that? Is there anything you'd like to say uh, about Dom Mackay? Exactly it, was, it was just an elaborate bit. It wasn't even an elaborate, it was just a cheap bit. Uh, we've actually got seven other real accent uh, answers. You know, oh. see, leading, with, leading with the joke, and then you go, oh, but seriously, you know, oh. the Frank Lamp of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give us your real number, person number one then. I'll get the boring one out of the way, but it's entirely sincere, and it is Jock Steen. Um, I just think he's an absolutely fascinating 
guy. Like obviously, he's Celtic's best ever manager. But just when you look at his values as a, as a as a big socialist and the way he talks about football, the way he talks about politics, the way he talks about society, I I could just listen to his old interviews, read reads about him for for hours, and I just think it'd be fascinating to be with him in, in real life and chat to him about football, about Celtic, but just about. How, how he thinks about things as well, his philosophy on life and everything. Now, that would be great to hear. Um, Can you imagine he'd love this team as well, right? This this yeah. this brand of football, you know. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine him and Ange. Would it be the? It wouldn't be the most. Inf- I can imagine them like just hosting a press conference together, and just how <laughs> just how unimpressed they'd be by like, oh, you, you two, two, two of Celtic's great managers. What do you think of that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, aye, uh, that, although I bet you know behind closed doors that would be a magical conversation between those two. Um, okay, Jock Steen, person one, who's next? Uh, Tony Ben. Excellent. Uh, Talk us through it. One of my personal heroes. One of the guys. He's like one of. He's one of those people when you're trying to starting to learn about left wing politics and the history of left wing politics is. He's one of the people who really comes across, not just because of how articulate he is, not just because of the quality of the speeches he gave in Parliament and the, the politics he represents, but because of the compassion and kindness he espouses as well. So throughout his entire thing, it was always just about trying to help help people live better, more meaningful lives. And he, you know, he, he there's some amazing speeches, some really stuff that goes across Instagram and Twitter about him absolutely tearing the Tories apart, tearing the establishment apart and everything, which is good. But for me, the thing that always attracted to me, um, him to me as a person, was his fundamental kindness and is just wanted everyone to leave a fulfilling life. I think that's the thing. And I just, I think it'd be fascinating to chat to him about, again, similar to Jogstein, just about his philosophy of life. And I tell you, I'd absolutely love to hear those two chat to each other. Mm. I, I bet they'd have a lot to talk about. Um. Really can't say anything more than that. I think that's a, a great shout. Um, fascinating guy. When back when Labour was a pro- fucking proper political party, um, he would absolutely hate what he's seen now. I'm sure. Um, okay, person number three. Uh, the last of the pol- political ones, but Tom Nairn, mm-hmm. the um, the political scientist who again a, ma- a massive socialist. So he, he described himself as more of a on the Italian Gramsci uh, side of things than a. Um, yeah, Trots, Trotsky or Stalin's. This is probably really boring to a lot of people, but I just think it's quite interesting. But he's, again, he's somebody who really his socialism came from the idea of kindness and wanting people to live a fulfilling, everyone to live a fulfilling life. And obviously, on top of that, he was one of the the leading voices on Scottish independence, but yeah. Scottish independence for nationalism's sake, not for all you know, Scotland the brave, brave heart bullshit, but because he believes that the Scottish people. Should be self. They should be independent, but also they have to have personality to them, and that should not be used for toxic nonsense about hating English people or anything like that. It's about this self promotion, the self identity, and why Scottish people are maybe inherently more left wing, and how that should be you know, broken down. You know, was very critical of the Blair government for the. Um, but the way they treated the, the Native Assembly and everything. And I just think he's he's another guy who just seems like very, very nice, but he also loved the party as well. I, I was reading about a book about him, about how he just like loved to spend like Friday nights getting hammered and chatting about politics and ideas and stuff. So I think he'd be a really nice guy to have at a party. Um, I, I was sure, because I heard his name really, I think he died like last month or the month before. Yeah, yeah he died. I, I felt like he was in the news quite recently. And because, yeah, when you said the name, I'm like, well, is he still alive? I feel like he was, yeah, so he passed away. Uh, in January, which is a shame because you kind of need people like that if Scotland's ever going to become independent, you know, like actual smart brains who can um, cut through the the tribalism of it a little bit. Um, I mean, I think tribalism as a part of politics it always has been, it always will be, but um, guys like Tom Nairn were essential in, um, yeah, bringing people together and, and forming ideals and, and what kind of country do you want to live in? Um Brilliant. I'm going to be a bit misty-eyed now. Uh, right, Kieran, who's next? Person number four. Uh, number four, I was thinking about it because, like, obviously, I love films. We talk about films all the time in the agenda and everything. And I was thinking, who'd be, like, an actor I'd really love to have there? And I think it would be Kate Blanchett. Mm. Um, because, uh, have, you, have you seen Tar yet? Tar? 
No, I haven't seen any films, Kieran. Do you not know this? I I like like five films. I oh, like I, I like the Warriors. Time. I like Die Hard. I like uh, some like it hot. I like Rear Window, and oh, I saw a film recently that I quite enjoyed. The uh, uh shit. Oh, King Hearts and Corin. It's just the one I, I watch all the time. Yeah. It's a great, that's a cracking film. Yeah. He's, he's so, oh, goodness, is amazing. Isn't it? Anyway, um, but it's like Kate Blanchett. Like, I just think her, her character on that, she's very pretentious and very wordy and very extravagant and everything like that. Um, and very cruel and toxic. Uh, her, from all the interviews I, I, I read with her and watch her and listen with her, She's exactly like that, but instead of like toxic and cruel, she's incredibly kind and open and generous. So I just said this: I like this somebody who's I, I love like really artsy, pretentious people when they are fundamentally quite kind and generous. And ask you your opinion. I think just, I just think it'd be a really fun person to have there, and like they're very you know quirky, quote unquote quirky as well. But I think she'd just be very fun to, to have as part of that. You know, being in, in that group as well, sort of like uh, older. Uh, older men yeah. from class backgrounds, I think it would be quite a fun fun match. Well, Tony Bennett is from a working class background, but older men at least um, who are, have very like stern political foundations. She could hold her own there. Uh, Kate Blanchett, of course, uh, most famous for starring in the latest pop music video by Sparks. Um, she's yeah. the girl is crying in her latte. She's the she dances all the way through the video. Um, Sparks are the greatest. She's great. Uh, okay, Kate Blanchett. Okay, you've got three people left. Who's number person number five? Uh, Johnny Mitchell. Ah, great. Right. Well, I mean, we can't. Right. We simply don't have time to fall into a Johnny Mitchell rabbit hole. But let's have a bit of a chat about Johnny. Talk me through your reasoning. Uh, she's one of my favourite songwriters ever. Might be my favourite voice ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and just reading her, like her non-fictions with the essay she's written, and just her again, it's like I guess it's quite quite similar to um, to Jock Steen in a way, in that her politics and her worldview has is indelibly linked to the art she creates, and just just like Jock Steen, she's created some of my my favorite art ever. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, and I just think she'd be a really interesting voice. She's just a, like a sensitive soulful, but incredibly intelligent and articulate person. I think she'd be a great person to have at that party. Um, did you see her? I take it you have just the videos of her performing last summer at it might have been Coachella or something like that. I like what she'll be in her late eighties now and. She still sings, man. I was I watched it with tears in my eyes, man. Like Joni Mitchell for me is a, an artist that my mum and I bonded over, and um, I just went crazy deep into Joni Mitchell's back catalogue when I was like about nineteen, and just stayed with me. And even even some of the shitey eighties albums, I really really enjoy them because it's her. It's her the way she writes. An artist that constantly evolved. That crazy jazz face she had as well. Um, do you have a favourite Joni Mitchell record or one that you would kind of go back to regularly? Um, none that are particularly interesting. <laughs> I, mean, I do, I do just like prefer. I do just love favourites. Like I do think Blue and and, and Court and Spark are, mm. I listen to regularly, and I love the um, the album she does with uh, James Taylor as well. Like it's just a really cool live album. Um, so uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't say I don't. I'm afraid I don't have any sort of edgy alternative opinion on this. I do just listen to a lot of the the classics, but I do I do I do recommend reading some of our like um, nonfiction stuff if you if people like it as well. She's it's not there's not loads of it, but it's it's really interesting hearing about like um her memoirs and everything. She's like a really interesting life. Excellent. Okay, Joni's there. Two seats left. Who's got the second last one? Uh, I'm going to go with Tony Gilroy. Now, um. He's my guy. A guy get, I love the. I was having this chat with Gal on Monday. Actually, like I love the inside baseball stuff of like film and TV and how that gets made, and especially screenwriting and like the, the artistry of screenwriting and the mechanics behind screenwriting. And Tony Gilroy, for my money, is the best screenwriter working today. Um, he was the guy who made Andor, but he also wrote the Bourne films and a film called Michael Clayton, which, for my money, is one of the best films of this century. As George Clooney as a, as a lawyer, and it's it's just incredibly well written. So he's just and he's like, that is the base thing and the, the basis of it. But it's also every interview I've seen, read, and heard with him, he's he's just a bit eccentric and weird and a bit up himself, but in that way that's quite charismatic. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's he knows he's amazing, 
but it's 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 not off putting, and I don't know <laughs> that I don't know why. Um, so I think he'd just be great to have there. I think he'd fit in quite well at this this uh, in this <laughs> box, to be honest. Given who you've got there, um, okay, final seat. Who's taking it? Uh, Zadie Smith, who mm-hmm. one of my favourite writers, and um, one of my favourite fiction writers, and one of my probably maybe even my favourite essayist, the non-fiction writer. I, I just think she's an incredible voice she, the, with, the, with the characters, the the prose she writes. And she just seems like a really nice and fun person as well. She can remember somebody that, that would be like, you know, to use that horrible cliche that I'm going to punch myself later for saying, the life and soul of the party. <laughs> I think, I think she, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you got all these like dour uh, men and then Jordan Mitchell mumbling some sad stuff, then you, and then you have Isaiah Smith livening things up a bit, I think, as well. So I think that's, that's, that's my seven I'd go for. Great. Um, she loves the Celtic as well, I'm sure, right? Because you know that's that's they're going to have to watch a game, even if it's you know a, a one 0 win over Livingston. Um, you're in a box together; it'll be fine, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, Jockstein, Tony, Ben, Tom, Nairn, Kate Blanchett, Joni Mitchell, uh, Tony Gilroy, and Zadie Smith uh, are the seven people joining Kieran Devlin in the box at Celtic Park that Dermot Desmond has just given him. Um, okay, question eleven. This is a big question. Um. Back to Celtic. You've been tasked with pulling together a Celtic starting eleven to take on Rangers in a Glasgow derby, which will decide where the title ends up. So any modern day player that's available. So let's say maybe players you've seen, um, <clears throat> or you players you've who have been alive or played for Celtic since you've been alive. Um, you can kind of decide what parameters you want to go for. So uh, I'd like your formation, and then we'll start with the goal goalkeeper and work our way forward. So I'm going to, I'm going to, the basis I'm going to go for is the one we used earlier, basically when you stop the 10, 97, 98. Great. Um, I think it's a good uh, starting point. I'm going to go 4 3 3. And then personally, I'm going to go with Fraser Forster in goal. Um, he's my keeper. I got, you know, Boric, Boric was great. But I, I do think, like, whenever I watch like full games from that period as well, I think there's more there's more errors that Boric makes than I think I remember, or maybe that is remembered in like the public consciousness. Like he did yeah. have a, a clang around him, whereas and Forster made one every now and again. But I think Forster's consistency combined with his is just the levels of some of his short stopping, particularly in the season he came back on loan, and then I think between 2012 and 2014, um, he was just outstanding. Um, I mean Boric was a great keeper as well, but for me. Those are those are the two in contention, and I'd go with Forster. Great. Um, right back, right back's a funny one because in terms of like your know, trophies and obviously their legacy at Celtic, you'd think Lustig on paper should be a, a, like a sold because right back. When you look back, we haven't had a lot of great right backs since you know within this timeline. Um, personally, I think I'm going Frimpong. Um, as my right back. Oh, okay. And not only here eighteen months, but I just thought he was outstanding. Um I thought he was absolutely brilliant and quite often and in an often quite shit team, not underperforming team, I think it was regularly man of the match. And I think maybe if he stayed a bit longer, if he wasn't getting Lennon, maybe he'd have a bit more of a legacy and you know, he's he's I'd be he's been absolutely incredible for Leverkusen and is there's a reason why he's at twenty two, but he's having some of the best clubs in Europe monitor him, maybe sell, buying him in the summer. And then, you know, you can make the point with, oh, he didn't quite show that here. I think there were times when he showed that at Celtic. I just thought he was a brilliant player. He was he was, a, he was an exciting player to watch. He always, I always enjoyed watching Frimpong. Um, I, I will, uh, I guess that, that um, like Didier Agat, Josip uh, Juranovic and uh, Jackie McNamara can just all go and take their face for a shite though, right? They're all great players. Um, but I think I'm going purely on quality. That's but, fine. No, that's my opinion. Quality for this one, rather than uh, yeah, than, than legacy. And it was, I, I will say, it, it did break my heart not to choose Juranovic because I said before that I th- he was my favourite player last season. So I did, but I think I have, you have to be cold when putting this eleven together. You have e- to be uh, orange. Yep, yep. yep. Take 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 emotion out of it. Right. Okay. Let's see your your. Well, let's just go across the back four. So give us your two centre halves. Uh, I'm going for Van Dyke and Mialbi. 
Uh, you've got the big elegant man on the ball, the big complete centre back, and then you've got the big bruiser, eighteen yard box defender, no nonsense guy as well. So there's a, I think they're a good partnership. And when you, you know, the, you struggle to find of too many better European centre back partnerships in the last twenty years, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that that's untouchable. I mean, you know, Van Dyke kind of has to be in there. And then if you're, you know, is it Mialbi? Is it Reaper? You know, I think arguably. If, if he has another great season, are we looking at CCV as being one of the best modern day centre halves? Um, too soon to say that, I think. Um, but yeah, no arguments for me there. Not that there would be anyway. This is your starting 11. Uh, who's at left back? Uh, it's Tierney. Yeah. I'd be surprised. Has there been anyone who's done this and not said Tierney yet? I don't think we've done this. I think I've only done this question with one other person. So, uh, and I think, I don't know if the parameters were slightly different, like if the scenario was different, but. Uh, if anyone says anyone other than Tierney, then they're just fucking about, aren't they, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just a Celtic player, but also just comfortably, in terms of ability, the best left back we've had this century by a, an absolute mile. It's like as good as Taylor's been recently, but yeah. Um, so on your midfield, are you playing like a, a 6 and 2 8? So are you playing a 6 and 8 and a 10? Or how's it, how's it looking? Yeah, I'm doing, going, for, going full iron system 6 Great. and 2 8. Great. My number six, Alan McGregor. Yeah. Right, I, 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 you, you talked about this in the agenda last week, so I think I think this podcast comes out um, just sort of in the, towards the end of March. It's coming out. And uh, previously in the agenda, uh, there was a really good chat between you and Gal and Alan about you know McGregor, his role as a captain, his role as a number six, so just this 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 guy who just is kind of the the beating heart of the club. Um what right, what is it about Callum McGregor? Why why do we love him so much? So I think it's all that stuff, but I do think like he's a brilliant captain. He he has a real winning mentality that he shares with Brown. You know, he's he always puts in a hard like you know, when we talk about players who maybe don't put hundred percent or they are inconsistent, you know, he is I think comfortably Celtic's most consistent player and he always, always puts in a full game, like he runs himself ragged. Um, and I think those are good reasons. Those are reasons why fans traditionally love players when they give their all and when they buy in, buy into what the club means. Um, but I also think maybe that the reason I've got him there, and he's just a really fucking good footballer. Yeah, he's just a really, really good player. Like I love Hatati to bits, but I do think McGregor is still Celtic's best player. Mm-hmm. And he, and you know, I think you can make a case that over the course since. I think someone. I think it was maybe um, Dave Flanagan made the points like, given the Scottish Premiership started what twenty twelve, I think you make a case that Cal McGregor has been the best player of the Scottish Premiership either, over given his consistency since he you know you know it maybe took time to break through between 2014, 2017, but over the last six years he's just been really short of anything but outstanding. Ah, um, since but, since Rogers put him in the midfield as a sort of full time central midfielder that he. he He's just been consistently excellent. Um, I mean, you know, the, the bad season, everybody was shite, but McGregor was arguably one of the few that got past marks that season. Um, okay, uh, your two number eights. Uh, so going a bit further back now, I think Petrov would be class as an annual number eight. I think he'd be absolutely brilliant. I'm just, I'm basically just playing, I'm just going to assume we're going to play this style of football. So I'm going to go with, I think Petrov is a brilliant player. He'd suit this system. Um Stage, I just love watching him. Technically brilliant, does does have that sort of like a bit of a physical edge to him as well. I yeah. just think he's he'd be a great player to have here. Yeah, agreed. And the other one is Paul Lambert. Excellent. Maybe not as much of a runner as um, as Petrov, but just an absolutely brilliant footballer. Again, it gives the gives the role, and I think maybe you could see him maybe on sort of like a like one of the, like a Rogic. Maybe not as like a bit much of a playmaker, but. He doesn't need the pace because he's so technically good and such mm. an intelligent player. And I think him, McGregor, and Pedro would just be an unbelievable <laughs> midfield three at their peak. Oh yeah, I agreed. Um, love Paul Lambert, love Stan Petrov, love Callum McGregor. Um, brilliant, a brilliant midfield. Certainly, they would destroy Rangers. Um, okay, uh, let's go to the wings. Who, who's on the wings? So I've got uh, Nakamura because he's on the right wing because mm-hmm. he's an absolutely phenomenal player. I think if I was going sentimental, he's my favourite Celtic player ever because, as I say, he was my favourite player between 11 and 15 and that's where football really matters. Yeah. And but he's also, I think, the quality and imagination he had was just unreal. 
Um, so I think he'd he'd probably be the the one the right wing and the left wing. I mean, it's quite. I I feel bad because I feel like like peak Scott Sinclair. It it's it could he has a big shout because he was for two years and then a bit more after he was just outstanding. Like, he was yeah. just an incredible player for us. But I, it's, it's a bit of a funny one. But because I, I know I saw a lot more Sinclair than I did Moravchik. But I'd be fascinated, like just. You know, like as I only seen Maravchik basically from highlights and compilation videos and season review DVDs, but I feel like it'd be, it'd be like a crime to to leave him out. I just yeah. think I'd be really fascinated to see what he'd do in this style of football as well. I think he'd really, you know, really suit this sort of creative thing if he was coming inside as one of these like winger slash number tens. I think he'd be really exciting. And then, you know, stri- strikers like left back, isn't it? There's not going to be it's not going to be anyone else. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so Skepovich, right? Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what I like about this, so obviously Henrik Larsson is the striker. Uh, what I like about this is that you've got Frimpong and Tierney who are very attacking fullbacks. Um, you've got Nakamura and Lubo who would come inside and take up that space in the ten. But then you've got like McGregor and Petrov who've got that work rate to go and Lambert too, the work rate to go and cover those the half spaces. Uh, and of course, you get the greatest striker that's ever existed to. Uh, spearhead it. I think we'd. I think we'd beat Rangers about forty-five billion nil with that team. Um, love it. Okay, so just to clarify, Kieran Devlin's uh, ultimate Celtic starting eleven to take on Rangers in a Glasgow derby is a uh, four-star back four of Frimpong, Van Dyke, Mialbi, and Tierney. Midfield three of McGregor, Petrov, and Lambert, Nakamura, and Lubo in the wings, and Larson up front. Beautiful. Love it. Playing the Ange Postecoglou system, of course. Um. Okay. Question four. Just a wee short one here. What do you, Kieran Devlin, remember about being four years old? So I, I was trying to remember this for a while. I think I'd go for, um, I, I just have a, I can't remember whether it was exactly four or not, but it's in the ball, it's in the ballpark. So when I'd go to a wedding or a christening when I was a wee kid in his tiny kilt, um, I just remember my gran used to hold, always have like new Star Wars toys for me. Oh well. So she'd be sitting. She'd be sitting behind me in the pew, and um, and I'd like I'd be in the middle of the ceremony, you know, for the, this couple having the best day of their life. The more this some something they've been thinking about all their lives, and then I just like stand up in the pew and just like very loudly ask my gran if she had a new Greedo figurine for me. Or something. <laughs> uh, and then like, dragging me down and go. Shh. Yeah, so I think that's that's uh, what I remember doing it for. That's great. Okay, love that. That's that's excellent. Um. What what year were you for? Uh, that would be ninety eight. So like, when was the Phantom Menace? Oh, that came out after it, didn't it? The Phantom Menace was like ninety nine. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, I would have been. I would have been. I would have been a uh, old school. I would have like uh, burned. If she she gave me like a George Jar Binks toy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was a purist. Purist already. I was a pure nerd already. I think Jar Jar Binks is actually the greatest Star Trek. Eh, Star Wars. Damn it! I fucked it. I said Star Trek. Uh, okay, moving on. Uh, question nine. What are you usually doing at nine o'clock at night here in Devlin? Um, so if there's if there's football on, I'm I'm a I love putting football in the background, having it on mute, mm-hmm. then having a, a beer, non alcoholic beer, maybe a mint tea, maybe a lemon and uh ginger tea, and having a read with the football in the background and sticking on some music. I think that's that's a that's a great time, and then you know having some some nice putting the little lamp on, no big lamp, no big lights, um, and then I just think that's a really sort of nice way to spend the evening. And then you know if you're not I'm not in the in the pub or watching rewatching a horror film or something like that, I think that's my ideal uh, nine o'clock activity. What's what time's bedtime for for Kieran Devlin? Uh I'm quite, I quite, I do go to bed quite late. I do normally, I'm normally there about four past ten, half ten, and then I conk out straight away. But I'm, I'm like an early riser as well, and I normally get up about six. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Um, okay, well, it's your life. You can do what you want. <laughs> okay. What time you normally get up? Oh, like I'm, and I, I still get up. I'm up between eight and nine, mostly, unless I'm going to Dundee for uni, and then I'm up at like, what, six. Um, but I, I, I tend to, like I'm still awake. I'm I'm a night owl man. Still awake at like late at night. Um, I I just I don't know. I just I don't. I get like about four. Hours. I'm like on Margaret Thatcher hours, man. I I sleep about four hours a night, five hours a night. Um, yeah, sleep to me is is 
it just doesn't it doesn't exist the way I would like it to exist. So yeah, I spend more time awake. Um, We're going to have to rename the concept so you don't sound sound scummy. And then uh, Margaret, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, it's the only like like it's the only reference point I could think of. Like another person, like it's only really bad people that don't sleep a lot, right? Like because they're like always grinding or whatever. You know what I mean? Getting up and six o'clock and I don't know murdering poor people. I don't know. Um, I don't do that. For obviously, I don't do that. Uh, I nearly said I'm the good Thatcher, but let's not even go down that road. Right. Three <laughs> questions left. We've only got three questions left. Um, uh, question three. And I really like this question. Um, I would like you to pick three players from the current Celtic squad to fulfill the following criteria. Criteria one. Criterion one. <laughs> Best night out of your life. Number two. Become flatmates. And number three, drive to the airport. So I think it's a, sh- it's, a sh- it's a shame for many reasons that Juranovic has left. But one of them is that I think he would have been my pick for Night of the Life. He strikes me as a guy who knows exactly. He's not like Bernabe who goes too hot, too hard too soon. <laughs> in a jail cell. Yeah. Um, he, he looks like somebody who knows, like, this is what we're going to do. This. It'd be organised, but not in, like, an annoying way. Yeah. It wouldn't be like, um, like we're doing this here, we're doing this then. It would just be, oh, I've got a plan. And it's just, like, a really fun night out. Um, so that, he's gone now, I can't quite do that. So I have to go for a more uh, avant-garde option. And it's going dies in my era. Mm. As somebody who is into the hard industrial techno. <laughs> and you know, I can just m- imagine visiting... Um, Tokyo or Kyoto, and they're taken to, to the seediest, filthiest nightclub imaginable. Where there's just there's literally no there's no lighting at all, and it's pitch black. And there's you know the subwoofers give everybody tetanus uh, tonight. Or something. <laughs> um, it's just, it's, I just have the best the best time doing that. I think it would be great. I love uh, that you get tetanus and tinnitus uh, mixed up there. I feel like you could probably end up getting both potentially. Yeah, yeah definitely. No, like that sort of warehouse venue. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think so. I really appreciate tidiness and thoughtfulness in a in a flatmate and housemate. So I don't know why, but I just feel like Starfelt strikes me as a guy who'd be mm. a good housemate. He just seems like quite like thoughtful, but very very composed. You know, mm. like he seems a guy who does he does the bare essentials. He does um, you know the simple things well, uh-huh. um, and that's what I'd value in a housemate. You know, if you keep keep you know they do the worktops after uh, cleaning the worktops after every time they cook. You know, they hoover at least once a week. It's all stuff, all the you know the bare essentials. I'm not asking them to uh, clean the inside of the oven every other day. I just want the flat to look nice. It's basically all I want. Okay, that seems fair. Um, right, and which current Celtic squad member are you driving to the airport? We, we discussed this before, but I think it would have to be Scott Bain. Um, I just think uh... we've got four we've got four keepers at the moment, four first team keepers at the moment. Uh, if we consider Tobelliemi, which you know, is a hero there, um, and then and we, you know, I think most people would want a new keeper in the summer. Scott Bain, Seagrass is brought in brand new, and Scott Bain is just a bit of a, a nothing figure, really. Um, well, I just think, well, okay, let, let's hear your rebuttal. Well, I think that's disgusting, quite frankly. <laughs> I think you've angered Baniacs on this podcast and all the Baniacs all over the world. Um, Scott Bain should stay at Celtic forever, ideally, um, even when he's not playing anymore. Just keep him around for, for good vibes. Um, by all accounts, he's one of the the fun guys in the in the squad. So, if you don't want Celtic players to have a good time and enjoy their careers, Kieran, then yeah, you you drive Scott Bain to the airport. But just know that you have you will incur the wrath of the Baniacs. Like a like a blockade outside the Glasgow airport. Yeah, <laughs> it's just me. It's just me. <laughs> it's just me. Oh no, and Claire Boyle, she likes Scott Bain. It's just it's just us two. Um, okay. Good, enjoyed that. Um, two questions left. A couple of kind of quite quite chunky questions here. So, but really, these last two questions will kind of get us into the the, the headspace of Kieran Devlin. So, you are of course a big a big fan of electronic dance music. Um, I'd like you to name your six favorite DJs, please. So, I this was the the question I was really excited for because this is where I just sort of uh, get a bit 
nerdy about it. And I'm sorry to yourself and anyone who is incredibly bored, but it's my it's my stunt eleven. So there yeah. we go. Um, I think so. The first one I'm going for a little spread, a little spread of genres and and what they what they mean to me. Uh, the first one is a German techno DJ called Helena Hauf. Um, who's absolutely incredible. I did like a, a pilgrimage to the uh, club in Hamburg where she had um, a residency at for a few years. Um, she wasn't there. I just thought we were, I was in Hamburg with Caroline. I, like, I really want to go to this club. She was like, why? Like, this person I've never met DJ there a couple of times. Like, <laughs> Fine, brilliant, great use of being on holiday. Um, and she, she yeah, she's like a mixture of like techno and electro and she's amazing. And she gets, she just changed smokes on, on, on when she's playing as well, she gets like twenty over a set, and I saw her do a seven hour set once, and it was life changing. It was great. So yeah, if you're into techno or electro, I really and well, I presume you already know her because she's massive, but um, she's incredible. Um, another one that uh, is Andy Weatherall. Um, one R.I.P. Of course, yeah, one one of the greatest people that's ever lived, and one of the greatest DJs. Like I met, I met him once. One of the soundest people. It was just so, so down to earth. It was just in the way he made DJ, and he was one of the, I guess, a pioneer, especially in for and for British DJs for making it an art form, for making it beyond just like a shitty career. They made it they made somebody that really refined it as something to respect. But he was just like a, a really kind and generous guy as well, and. Just listening to some of his old like Radio One mixes, I still listen to one of his Radio One mixes like every year from the nineties, and it's just it's just loads of the stuff on SoundCloud and, and, and MixCloud, and, and it's just great to listen back to. Um, then VTSS is maybe probably my most recent, like probably my mo- favorite DJ at the moment. It's this Polish uh, DJ who does a mixture of like she combines like techno, electro, happy hardcore drum and bass, jungle. She commends everything as long as it's like a BPM of at least 140. And it's mad and wild, but it just works so well and it's class and everything is, is crazy. Um, I saw her in, in London Christmas 2021. Um, it was after the Glaswegian um, pop producer Sophie had died. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, were, they were quite close. And because the party that was on, there was like a... It was, partially a tribute to Sophie and she played half an hour of Sophie tracks and I'd never seen like a anyone like a crowd respond to it. It's like there was just everybody was hugging and crying and everything yeah. because it was a celebration of her of their of her life. Yeah. And it was yeah, it was a really beautiful moment and she's an incredible DJ. Um the other one is Ben UFO, who is another sort of mainstay of a British um DJ in the last twenty years. He's got one of my favourite label with a guy. Um, there's two other guys called Pearson Sound and Pangea. So this is really going in the nitty gritty here, but maybe <laughs> maybe there's like one person out there who's, who's hey. There, there might be, yeah, there could yeah. well be. That's the thing. Um, you know, Bowden and I spoke for about twenty five minutes about Star Trek characters, so don't worry about it. This is nothing compared to that. Um, and you know, they they play a lot of. They were big into the the dubstep and baseline of the two thousands. Not like this skrillex shite dubstep. I'm talking like the uh, like. 2000 Bristol and London uh, dubstep scene, and they, they do a lot of like the the speed garage movement, and um, and a lot they still do a lot of bassline and everything. So that is amazing as well. Like it just a, he, he just manages to find the best tracks of each individual individual year about six months before everyone else. So he's class. Um, another one is uh, Caribou or Daphne, mm. as is like a dance music alter ego is Dan Snaith. He's just really fun. I've seen him maybe six or seven times, and I'll both live and and then DJing. And he's just everything. He's just really, really good fun. I think he does sort of maybe sort of like poppy electro stuff into when he's Caribou. Uh, Daphne is a bit more techno-y, a bit more housey. But when he does his DJ sets, he almost exclusively plays disco, which I quite enjoy. It's, it's quite different. It just seems like he really enjoys being able to use his different alter egos, which is quite good. And the last one is. Um, I'm going to cheat and go for, well, technically three DJs, but they just play exclusively together. These guys called the Zenko Brothers and another guy called Ski Mask. And they are uh, the, you know, they just play the weirdest, most mental drum and bass, jungle breaks stuff ever. And it's class and have the best time. Um, so if you're into sort of weird breaks and drum and bass stuff and you don't know much about, if you don't know them, I'd highly recommend. They've got a, a 
mix slash set at a London club called Fold that's on SoundCloud. That might be my favourite mix ever um, when I'm doing a back-to-back. So I uh, recommend that if you're <laughs> the one person out there that might potentially be interested. But um, yeah, so those are my six picks for my favourite DJs. Uh, I hope you all had, you're all absolutely in raptures. You were having the best time. <laughs> I had I, I at least heard of at least two of them, so I'm pretty chuffed about that. When you said Zenker Brothers, like my mind went immediately to Venga Boys. I was pretty sure that Venga Boys maybe wouldn't. Would they be number seven, arguably, on your list of DJs? Just that, just that. Yeah, yeah okay. So they, apparently, uh, there's a DJ in Ibiza. Oh, hey, the Venga boys will never die. The Venga bus will just keep on trucking. Nope, that's not right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, final question, Kieran Devlin. It's question eight. You can put eight items into a time capsule that you're going to be able to access centuries in the future once they've mastered cryogenic freezing. So basically, you're going to be frozen for years, like Han Solo, but for much longer, and then come back, and it'll be like a Futurama head in a jar type thing. But these eight items in a time capsule, you will be will be given back to you. So, what are they? Uh, so, I'm going to go for. Uh, I've discussed them before, but they are my favourite snacks. It's like the Lidl brand uh, Belgian chocolate shells that I just can't get enough of. I get through a box in a week, but my local the the one further in in Edinburgh, one of the bigger ones in Edinburgh still sells them. My local one doesn't. So I'm having like a real crisis. So I was wondering, are they going to stop producing them soon? So I feel like having that for my own sake would be would be good just because they're my favourite thing. Um, maybe for a couple of cynical ones, just for monetary value, I've got original first print vinyl Frank Ocean's Blonde. Okay. Uh, um, which, yeah. you know, keep that and whenever 100 years, I'd be a retired millionaire quite easily. Uh-huh. Um, the same well. Have you heard of Jubel beer? What beer? Sorry, Jubel. Spell it. J U B E L. Uh, I'll tell you in a minute once I've seen what it looks like. So it's like, it's um, like, it's like peach infused. So oh tastes- yeah, no, I, I've seen this. Um, is this is this recent? Is this a new thing that's come out over here? Yeah, so it's just like right. it, it's exploded over the last six months, nine months right. or so. Um, so I'm thinking like. Get a couple of cans of those because it's still like it's still in like it's a original uh, print and not original print, but like it's uh, packaging and everything. Nice, like that. nice branding, do like yeah. it. So I get get one of those in the original branding, and I I do quite like it. It's quite nice. So I think it's one of those ones where you, you keep it, and it'd, it'd be a nice memento for a few years after they explode to like brew dog levels or whatever. Hopefully, without the level of toxicity and being scummy. Yeah, uh, that just. Just, just dreadful. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. Um, I have never had that beer before. I, I'm going to if I see some, I will, I will 100 buy it. Peach flavored beer. Yeah, I think it's. I think you know. I'm not. I'm. I'm not sure. I think some. So I know a lot of people who don't like it. So yeah, go in. Don't go in. You know. Don't shoot the messenger. That's what I'm, shoot, I'm okay. saying. Okay. I don't want any angry messages calling me a prick. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll get that anyway, Kieran. Sorry. I'm sorry. And by the way, I was sorry about that last week. When I <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, what's next? How many is that? That's three things? Yeah, yeah three things. Three. Okay. Um, four? four um, a signed book by one of my favourite authors, uh, Sarah Waters. Um, there's a novel called The Little Stranger, which is like a, I guess it's like a ghost story that's very, very morally murky and it's beautifully written and there's a lot of like weird sexual tension and stuff. It's just a great book. It's like a gothic horror. It's got everything you'd want from a from a story, basically. Um, and I got that signed, and that was quite a, a special thing, so I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, Caroline, uh, one of the first things she got me when we started dating, she knew uh, one of my favourite animals are foxes, so she got me a little a little fox that, that has a lot of uh, scent, like uh, emotional attachment for me, so that's yep. going in there. If I'm going to be a bit... Uh, saccharine and, and sentimental. And... <laughs> Come on, let's not. We're not afraid of feelings on the cynic. You know, this is important. We all have people we love, and that's a very, very nice thing to, to put in for sure. Great. Um, I got uh, when when I did my masters, uh, I was the chief editor of the university magazine, and when we printed the magazine, uh, everybody else um, when we when I went to print, everybody else got me a bottle of whiskey, Irish whiskey called Writer's Tears. <laughs> it's called. Um, so I've, I've finished the whiskey, obviously, but I've still got the bottle. We use it for like the whole like fairy lights in the stage. Yep, so yep. I think that thing that has a lot of um, 
uh, resonance for me, and I still I, I love it to bits. Um, uh, I guess the second last one I'd go for. Um, it's a Aphex Twin sticker I picked up off the floor when I saw him in London in 2017 um, when he was playing Field Day and it was one of the best gigs I've ever been to. And it was a big thing for properly getting into dance music then. It was a big moment for that. And it, just, it was just an incredible moment. Um, and I guess the final, the one I'd go for is... It was my, my granddad had a signed Jimmy Johnston photo um that you know that I've just had have somewhere in my flat and yeah I think that's a really nice moment not only because it's my granddad's past now and it's, it's a nice memento from him but also mm. it's, it's a same bloody Jimmy Johnston yeah. like it's right. a pretty special thing like you know even you know I think that's when if I was going to like sell off the Frank Ocean and the Jubilee in a hundred years I think that's when I just I just like to keep if I yeah. woke up in years. Splendid! Wow, that's a great array of stuff. Um, I I really enjoyed that. Um, Kieran, that's us. That that's that's your starting eleven. Um, that was uh, you know I feel like I know you quite well, right? We, you know we've we've been out uh, for pints and stuff on occasion, and we've made a bunch of podcasts together. But there's like there's as we always find out with these episodes, there's always more to these cynics than than you than you think. Um, uh, how's it been for you? I've loved it. I love it. I want to just chat about myself for ages. This is why I love the barbers when everyone else seems to hate it. <laughs> yeah, Alan hates. I mean, when when Alan does this, I, I I hope he'll do it because it's going to be like when he goes to the barbers. And I will start off by asking him if he's going anywhere nice for his holidays. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, Paul. You're a, you're a charismatic fellow. It's been great. Well, pleasure's all mine. Um, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed that. Um, he's been Kieran Devlin. I've been Paul Carlin. This has been Starting Eleven. We'll be back in the next month or two with uh, uh, another cynic telling their uh, Celtic story and uh, telling us about some of the things that kind of make them tick. Uh, so from Kieran and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you down the road.